Hey guys! Hi! We're back with another episode of Misery Manor. I'm Emily. I'm Cody, and make sure you leave your manners at the door. It's episode one, four. <laughs> you always have to have the first word. You're and literally looking at me. My mouth is open and then you start talking. And the last word. It's true. We're it's... doing things a little different today. Um, Emily has plans this afternoon. So we are at my apartment, but we are actually recording in the closet. So we're mm. surrounded by a bunch of clothes. Emily keeps looking around. Um, never thought I'd get back in the closet, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Do gays love making that joke? I don't know. You'll have to ask them. Oh. <laughs> but this is news for me. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't prefer to be in here, but I think it's going to work because the clothes will act as like a, like a cushion for sound. Yeah. Hopefully. It's like expensive sound cushioning. Yep. For real. Okay, and don't lean too far back on that Gucci belt, please. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm kidding, bitch. Okay. That's a Louis. The one next oh. to it's Gucci, baby. So, let's get it. Well, hold on. I don't want to get into it yet. Do you have any news? Uh, We got a lot more followers yes. just on a, Insta. On Insta and a lot more views on the pod in general. I think it, like, doubled this weekend. So, hallelujah, let the Lord use ya. We are so appreciative. <laughs> um, so keep it coming. Keep sharing. Keep liking. Keep posting. Keep Ooh. reviewing. Keep doing it all, baby girl. I think we need to do a poll. Should we create a twatter? Because I haven't created it yet. <laughs> a twatter? Yeah. You mean a Twitter? No, I mean a twatter. Mm-hmm. And we'll just put crazy shit you say on it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, before, um, what's the saying? Before, uh, any further ado? How do you say it? Without further. Without further ado, let's get into this case today that I have for you. So, as you know, I posted on Instagram all these stories that I'm like, oh my god, I'm so conflicted. I don't know which one to do. I don't know which one to do. Because I keep, I was reviewing everything that I've done and I was like, holy shit, these people are going to think I have it out for bad acting children or teens that love to kill their friends or just the abuse of children in general. So I want to steer away from that. So today I'm going to do a case that's a missing persons case. Um, There's a lot of compelling detail in this story. And I think by the end of it, you'll be able to be like, okay, I know what happened to her, but it's not set in stone. It's not confirmed. Today, the case is still open. So, um, and this is the case that the most the majority of people voted for. So I was like, mm, I guess we'll do it. So I'm going to start, I'm going to talk about the, I think, fascinating case because there's so many details into it. Um, and this, fo- uh, this case also comes with a very famous Polaroid photo that circulated all throughout the U.S. Um, and I'm going to post the Polaroid photo, but this story is eerie. It's horrifying. The details of it are like, holy shit balls and a half 
okay? Okay. So this is going to be the case of Tara Lee Calico. Are you familiar with her? Not too familiar, <laughs> As no. a mouth, no. Because bitch acts surprised. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, so Tara Lee, Tara Lee Calico was born February 28th, 1969. <gasps> that was yesterday! Oh, it was. February 28th. No. Yes, oh, yeah, it heart. is. Okay. Yep. Oh, my God. How cool. So, yeah. So, Tara Lee Calico was born February 28th, 1969, and she attended the University of New Mexico, and she was studying psychology. She had one stepsister named Michelle and a brother named Chris. She had a stepfather named John Doyle, or Dole, and her mother, Patty. Okay. And he had raised... Um, Tara since she was at the age of six. So he was like a fatherly figure to her. Okay. Um, so Tara herself was described as being intelligent, goofy, fun to be around, very loving. She was very helpful and she would lend a hand to everybody in need. Um, she was also known as a bookworm and would spend lengthy periods of time reading in the library, studying. People would see her out by like a tree underneath a bench, just studying random stuff. She loved to learn. She loved to read. Um, but on top of that, she also was super athletic. She was a runner. Um, she was a biker, um, and health and wellness was super, super, super important to her. So she always made sure she kept herself in the best shape possible. Um, just to add, she was very independent. She was organized and she always made a to-do list every single day. There's so many reports of people saying she always had a list. This is what she was going to do in the morning. This is what she was going to eat. Yeah, it literally sounds like you, does it not? Yeah, that's what I do every day. <laughs> right. So she had these lists. She was super organized. Like, she had her shit going on. Like I said, not only smart, athletic, awesome girl. So Tara was, Tara was 19 years old when she went missing, and she was out on a bike ride on September 20th in 1988 in Bel- Belen, Belen, New Mexico, um, after leaving her house around 9.30 a.m., So when she left on this bike ride, she was never to be seen again. So, and this was not just your ordinary, like, bicycle ride down the street. Tara was an avid bike rider and would bike every day 36 miles. Every single day. Never skipped a beat. 36 miles. It was, like, she had to do it. Wow. 36 miles. So, and this is exactly what she had planned to do that day as well. Um, And it was just, like I said, part of her daily routine. She would get up at 9.30 and finish around noon. Um, This bike ride usually took her two, two and a half hours. um, And she would also go with her mother, Patty. Her mother had a passion for biking as well. And this was a great way for them to spend one-on-one time together. Um, They both loved it. They were super passionate about it. Um, Since Tara was so, Tara was so busy in school, like doing other stuff, her mom enjoyed being able to have those couple of hours with her daughter. They were like best friends, but you know, as she got older and she was, going to class and like she had a boyfriend Uh and all that. Um, her mother thought it was a great way for them to still have something that they continue to do together. Um, and on this bike ride, they loved enjoying the weather together. They would stop and view like the scenery sometimes. Um, and they loved just being active and, um, staying active and healthy together. But however, her mother actually stopped riding her bike prior to Tara missing, like a couple weeks prior, because her mother felt very uneasy because on one of their trips, um, she noticed somebody in a vehicle following them one morning while they were out on a ride. And this freaked her freaked her out to high heavens, and she even tried to convince Tara to stop. 
um, but Tara by no means had any interest in letting that incident stop her. Um, her mother just asked that she continue to go in the daylight and stay on the main path, be careful of her surroundings, you know, all the mom talk. Um, but Tara also biked the same path each and every day. So she was super familiar. She knew people along the way as well, you know, like little gas stations on the way, people would wave at her. She did not seem phased by this occurrence at all. So her mother was like, you know what? It only happened once. You know, maybe it was just a coincidence. Go do whatever you need to do. Okay. Um, since Patty was not going on the ride that day, Tara asked her mother if she could borrow her bike for this ride because Tara's bike had a flat tire and something um, was like bent out of shape on the tire, so she mm-hmm. wasn't able to use it. So Patty, of course, let her daughter borrow her neon pink Huffy <gasps> mountain bike. I was like, yes, bitch, with the pink bike. Um, <laughs> so Thanks, Tara man. brought along with her a bright yellow so- Sony Walkman with a cassette tape and the band Boston inside the cassette. Okay. That's what she listened to on her trips. Always Boston? Not, but that was like her favorite. So she like oh, would okay. always listen to it and she could like pick out like, okay, I'm on this song. I have this much, you know, left in the, in the ride. So, um, according to the FBI, Tara was wearing a white t-shirt with first national bank on it, white shorts, green stripes, with green stripes, ankle socks, and turquoise tennis shoes. She was wearing two rings, a gold amethyst ring and a gold butterfly ring, complete with half-inch gold hoop earrings. Yes! I'm like, okay. She said, well, let me put on some jewelry real quick while I go out <laughs> to the bike. Well, it's 80s, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, so now you kind of have like a good picture of what Tara looks like, correct? Okay. So, the last time that any witnesses reported seeing Tara was at 11.45 a.m. riding along Highway 47 in Valencia County. Okay. So, keep in mind, Tara bikes the same route every single day. She plans her route out to be done at 12 noon back at her house. So, if the last witness saw her at 11.45, that means she only had 15 minutes left before her bike ride was over. So this oh. must have happened within 15 minutes of her being home. Oh, my God. So she joked with her mom that if she was not home by noon um, to come looking for her. Because with her luck, she she joked and was like, with my luck, I'm just going to have another flat tire. So her mom was like, okay. But um, like I said, her mother presumed this to be a joke. Um, and Tara also had plans at 1230 with her boyfriend for a tennis match. So Tara had laid out her outfit on her bed. <laughs> Um, of what she was going to wear, and she organized all of her homework and school books because after the tennis match, she was going to come home and grab her books and go to class. So, like I said, to-do list, she was very organized, um, and she was super, super, super excited about this tennis match with her boyfriend. So her mom was like, this is so strange for her to not be here on this time. Like, I don't don't get it. And classes were at 4 p.m. Okay. That day as well. Oh, my God, that's a full day. Yep. So, again, noon rolls around, nothing. So Patty takes off to go look for her. Patty drives the exact route that her daughter takes every day, and she doesn't see her, no sign of her, so she starts to panic. Then she starts thinking, well, maybe I just missed her when I left the house. Like, maybe I left right when she was coming in. Um, so she's like, I'm just going to head home and see. But Tara's not there, so she's like, this is bad. This is really, 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 really bad. Um And she's like, Tara's not one to do this, um, so something bad must have happened. She's like, I'm not being negative i know my daughter this is bad like she's never not been timely and if she you know right. just completely out of the um ordinary so patty and her husband john who who like i said is tara's stepfather 
began to think, well, maybe she got hurt. And maybe she's at one of the hospitals. You know, maybe she was like, I need to get to the hospital. Okay. So they started calling all the local hospitals, all the urgent cares, all the ERs to see if she had been admitted, admitted in and nothing came up. So after this, they immediately called the Valencia County Police Department and they filed a missing persons report. So according to the Albuquerque Journal, within five hours, Tara was reported missing. Her missing person status was reported into the National Crime Attention Center. And a note was added saying that foul play was something they are considering giving everything that is into play at this point. Just because it's not like her to do like this, everything that they've painted a picture her out to be, they're like, this has to be foul play. I don't know why, but well, foul play. Oh, okay. I mean, also because she's a young, beautiful white girl. That's exactly. another reason. Yep. So Tara's little sister, Michelle, says she remembers the day that this happened very well. She said, I was 15, a sophomore in high school. I remember one of my sister's best friend and her boyfriend came to get me from school. They picked me up, and when we got home, there was a bunch of cops everywhere, and I knew something was bad. She was basically told that Tara went for her normal bike ride like she did every day. Her mother and father had searched for her, and they are not sure where she could be and what could have happened. Her sister, Michelle, said that she it made her very nervous, along with that there were so many volunteers to act so um, quickly. Um, it made her nervous that they were taking this, you know, so, like right. such a big deal. So uh, Michelle said, I didn't understand what was going on. I just assumed that maybe she had gone a different way and they were going to find her. I just didn't think that she was missing until later on that evening when I realized how serious this was. But I just kept thinking to myself that she was going to come back. So at this time, it's go time. Patty and John joined the search alongside local and state police, volunteers, and other investigative outlets from all over the area. Some were on foot, some were on helicopters, some on horseback, and they were all going out to find her, but they were coming up with nothing. Then they came across something. The bike. No. <laughs> they stumbled across that Boston cassette tape that I mentioned in the beginning that she had with her, and they found it on the shoulder of the road in some dirt only about three miles from home, which makes sense because the last person that saw her had seen her at 11.45, so 15 minutes before she was set to be home, within three miles okay. um, from her home, that that time frame would have done the math as when she would have been home. So it happened right around that time. Was, three it, was it like in the dirt off the path that she yeah. rides on? Yep, oh. and I'm going to get into that too. So Patty was given the cassette tape to identify, and she immediately told them that she was 100% certain that it was Tara's. So later during the same search, 19 miles east on the same route, there was a broken piece of her Sony Walkman. And this was near the JFK uh, John F. Kennedy campsite, for those who are listening that are familiar with this area. So while they were collecting these items, they noticed that there were tracks nearby um, that were clearly bicycle tracks. However, the tracks indicated that the bike had gone off the road and after examining the tracks even further, uh, they were able to determine that the tracks showed signs of struggle, whether she was forced off the road, spun out, hit something. All they know is something caused her to fumble um, and that there was clear signs of struggle. But not only that, next to the um, bike tracks were skid marks from um, like a car tire. Do you think she was hit by the car? That's what, at this point, that's what they're thinking. They're like, okay. This it makes, makes sense, sense to me. Because it's right next to where they found the Sony Walkman. Oh, and the Sony Walkman, the part that they found was like the little clear thing 
on it that you can like see what your like little thing that's playing you know uh-huh. so it wasn't the whole thing it was just a little bitty piece which would totally just pop out very easily right. especially since they found the tape somewhere else exactly and it's just like f- open there it could just i mean yeah. i don't know how old our listeners are but right those things break very easily yeah and so and because of these two things being found in two separate areas patty initially thought that those items that she found were left intentionally by Tara to leave a trail for someone to find her. But, however, a lot of people were like, no, this shows signs of her putting up a fight or her being hit even because the items were broken. Um, they're like crushed, broken or whatever. So they were like, mm-hmm. this is, this kind of shows a, like some sort of altercation. Some Something bad happened. I don't think Tara was leaving these as like a, this is where I am they thought it could have been a little bit more serious as of being hit by a car, being abducted, something, right? Right. So (laughs) now after they have all these items, they decided to start talking to people in the community to see if they could get a better idea of what might have happened or if anybody else might have any clues to progress this search. So witnesses started coming forward saying they did see Tara on her route and that they saw her in the time frame that was accurate to her normal bike ride. Um, So, like I mentioned, the last known witness saw her at 11.45 a.m. In all, they had seven witnesses come forward to give information. And of the seven, five of them said that they felt like something was very, very, very strange occurring and something seemed very off. So, the five witnesses said that they saw an old beat-up pickup truck following Tara while she was on her route for quite some time. The truck was described to have a camper shell. Do you know what that is? Yes. Hideous. And it was either tan, white, or like off-white, but like a like a dirty. Dirty. Like just dirty. Um, and that it was possibly a Ford pickup truck. Um, and that is pretty much the only detail that the witnesses could say. Um, and But they did confirm that it was following her for quite some time. So the next day, the search continued and continued, and this continued for weeks to follow, weeks to follow, weeks to follow, but nothing was found on Tara. Nothing. And they were doing this every single day for months, even. So um, they couldn't find any clues. They couldn't find any more witnesses. They couldn't even find the bike, body, hair, nothing. So for nine months, the search continued. Nothing. Volunteers by the hundreds came out each and every day. Her parents and family did not stop uh, for once. Every to find her. day? Every single day. Nothing was popping up. Nothing. Michelle, uh, Tara's sister, said that she was she was sure that she would be found sooner. She said, how could she not? It seemed as though every person in our county was out there looking for her hand in hand everywhere, searching everywhere. So she was dumbfounded how so many people could be involved in this. And yet nothing was coming up. Um, So they were all left wondering what happened. Um, They did everything they could, yet nothing is coming up. They went to media outlets. They went to newspapers. They did interviews. They were on TV shows. They were doing everything at this point they could think of, and nothing was working out. They felt defeated. So that is until July 15th, 1989, a little less than a year after she went missing, something eerie and strange occurred. John Dole, like I said, Tara's stepfather, received a phone call, and it was from a family friend who said they had something very weird to tell him. And he said that they sounded very uneasy over the phone, almost like, you know, like when you go to give a speech or like go to talk and you almost feel like you have a lump in your throat and you're just kind of like, I don't want to say it. And you can just tell something's off. 
that's John's, he was like, okay, something's bad. They're about to share some bad news. So the family friend was like, I need to tell you something. Um, he said, I was watching a TV show called A Current Affair, and it's kind of like America's Most Wanted. Okay. And during a recent episode, they were talking about this Polaroid photo that was found, and it was concerning. Um, and he was like, it just might be of interest of you to just investigate the photo. And John said he was like, why? Like, what are you talking about? Like, like why? Why do you want me to look at this Polaroid photo? I mean, he didn't have an inkling it would be about Tara. No, because this is why. So this Polaroid was from Florida, okay? okay. So the Polaroid was taken and found in Port St. Joe, Florida at a convenience store. So Port, uh, Port St. Joe is a tiny, tiny, tiny town only consisting of about 10,000 people. So... Also, this is states away from Tara because she was in New Mexico. This is yeah. in Florida. Um, so I don't really think at first he was too like into it. So a woman claimed, this is how the Polaroid came out. A woman claimed that she was walking into the store and she noticed a man just sitting in a white van. Door open, just sitting there with his like legs out, just kind of sitting there looking around. Uh, no. She was taken back by the man, which... I think anybody in a white van, I know I hate to like judge people in a white van, but anytime I see a white van, I'm like, there's either little children in there or there's <laughs> dogs or it's about to be a cock fight, like okay. a rooster fight. You know? Yeah, I know. I don't know. If you drive a white van, I'm sorry, but I drive they, a white van. They just give me creepy vibes. No, you drive a black van. I don't drive a van. Or a Jeep. So, okay. So she said she was very taken back by this man. Um, but she kept walking, and she went into the store to, like, run her errands. And when she came out, the van was gone. But when she looked at the spot where the van was parked, she saw a Polaroid photo laying there. So she picked it up, and she said the photo was very, very scary. It showed a young woman and a boy laying next to each other in the back of, like, what seems like a white van. They both seem very scared and appear to be bound at the wrist behind their back, and they both have duct tape over their mouth. They are gazing into the camera, like, literally with the most tired and scared look on their face. They almost look defeated. Um, the girl in the photo looks to be in her late teens, and the boy looks to be around 9 or 10 years old. Okay. So when this was found, the woman called the police immediately. The police were first just trying to figure out who in the hell, like, these kidnapping victims could be. The woman who found this photo said that the man she saw in the white van was maybe in his 30s and had a very dark mustache. She also said Ew. that the van was a white Toyota cargo van without windows, but that's all that she could give a description about. The police set out to find this man because they thought the kids could be like victims of sex trafficking um, because they fit the demographic perfect of what these type of people are seeking out. Uh -huh. um, so the police in that area set up roadblocks. They were checking everybody that was going by checkpoints. Um, they were asking witnesses all over the small town if they recognized the kids the vehicle, any information that anybody could give, and they received not one phone call, nothing. So when nothing was popping up from the police, the residents of the town, they decided to go ahead and release the photo to the media outlets and the newspapers to see what could pop up. So A Current Affair, that TV show, picked mm -hmm. up the story and was circulating that photo for people to um, ID these kids, which is how the family friends saw this photo and called Tara's dad. So going back to that story, the family friend then said, I need you to look at the photo because I think it's Tara. And immediately his heart sunk. He was like, oh, shit. 
Got to see this photo. So, and then I'm just going to give you a side note about the boy in the photo, okay? Okay. So, let's just go to the little boy for a little bit. So, when this photo aired, another family thought that he resembled their missing child, Michael Henley, who was nine when he went missing in the Zuni Mountains in New Mexico. Which is also kind of weird because that family in New Mexico, like, she's from New Mexico, he's from New Mexico, and it's found in Florida. You know, it could have been anybody that was like, well, oh, like, that's my kid, but... I know, but I'm just thinking, like, they both, they were like... I need a girl and a boy these ages. They grab them and then they take them across country. Yeah, exactly. I don't, for sure, I don't think they would just stay in the same town that they grabbed them from. No, and then I think they would be, like, drugged. Right, exactly. So, um, and he went missing in the Zuni Mountains in New Mexico. So, April 19, uh, April 1988, Michael was on a camping trip with his father in the mountains. And they went out for some, like, father, father-son camping and, like, a hunting trip. Um... But just to, like, spoil it, it's not Michael in the photo. Michael was later found dead um, in June of 1990, only a few miles from the campsite. The autopsy reported he had died from exposure. So it was not him in the photo. I gave you that information, though, but I'm going to continue to talk about the story as if the family doesn't know, okay? Because he's going to keep coming back into the photo, but I just wanted to give you some insight on the boy in the photo. Okay. Um, So John and Patty... Um, both looked at the photo and they were both like, this is Tara. 100%. Um, so they got together with Michael's parents. Um, so it was Michael Sr. and Marty. And they all went to Florida to meet with detectives to find out more about this photo. Because again, they believed that the children in the photo were their kids. The FBI took over the case and they were ready to do a full detailed analysis over this photo to help these children and families get their answers. So Patty at this moment claimed that it was 100% Tara, no doubts in her mind, it's her. But Michael's parents were not as sure that it was Michael Henley. Um, The ears and the eyes are the same for Tara. The nose and the hair had a specific cowlick on the front, Uh which led Patty to believe, okay, that's Tara's cowlick, that's her eyebrows, that's her eyes, I know my daughter, that's her. Um, And Patty later said, for one thing, Tara was in a very bad car accident. In the photo, there was a scar (gasps) on the woman's leg that is identical to the scar she received in the car accident. Um, So another thing that stuck out in the photo was the book that is lying right next to Tara in it. It's a copy of My Sweet Audrina by V.C. Andrews. Are you familiar with that author? So V.C. Andrews was Tara's favorite author at the time, too. So, again, Patty's like, this makes sense. and But, like, not to play devil's advocate, V.C. Andrews at this time was huge. Oh, yeah. So, like, ladies. all the teen girls were reading their her books. Um, yes. I had a question. Yeah. Or a comment, actually. Uh-huh. So, you're talking about, you know, that she liked to read it. Obviously, she wasn't riding a bike with a book. Right. But I've read a lot. Like, I've read things about sex traffickers, and they promise you things, right? So right. maybe they were like, oh, you let, you know, try to humanize themselves. Right. So maybe they mm-hmm. got that out of her, and they bought it for her, like, yeah. thinking they were going to take care of her, like, right. making her think that. Yeah. I don't know. And that's, I'm glad you brought that up, because a lot of people examined the photo, and they were like, they look, they're not starved by any means. Right. They look. Their hands, and I'm going to upload the photo so people can see it, but, like, typically when you're bound, like, if you can see me, you see, like, if I'm bound tight, you can only see my shoulders. Uh In the photo, their arms are just kind of loosely placed back there. So people are like, it doesn't look like they're really struggling. They look well-fed. They even look tanned, you know? Yeah. That's why people are like, I think it's sex trafficking. They want to keep these children, 
looking presentable. I know that sounds horrible, but, um, I mean, there's a million different things flying through their mind at this point, but Patty is 100% certain that this is Tara. Um, so going back to the book, a lot of teen girls at this time were reading her novels. So, um, uh, so she was kind of like, okay, yes, she loved to read. Yes, she loved her, but she knew the books kind of like Harry Potter, you know, everybody had it, you know? Which, I mean, they could have just been like, look, everyone's reading Harry Potter. Here you go. Right. So another weird thing, there's a actually a phone number on the side of the book. And if you look really, really closely, all the photos that I found on the internet, they're like copies of photos, you know, so it's like, yeah, blurred, but the original photo had a phone number on the spine. Um, and some of the numbers are kind of hard to um, decipher, decipher. Good word. So according to the Charlie Project, was like what's like an investigative firm. Uh-huh. Um, they took the phone number and they said it could be 300 possible phone numbers. Well, baby, that shouldn't take that long. Right. They just start calling. But a lot of the numbers are on, are not recognizable. So the FBI did a full analysis of the photo, but came back inconclusive. So it went as far as sending the photo to Scotland Yard. They Damn. analyzed it and concluded that the photo was 100% Tara Calico, which is great news. But it, and it gave hope to her parents that she's still out there, she's alive, and that they just need to find her. However, <laughs> the Los Alamos National Laboratory took the photo shortly after, analyzed it, and they came back and said it's definitely not Tara. So now her parents are like, oh, no. So then the family was like, well, Polaroid reached out to them. It was like, we'll do a, an analysis of the film used, the type of camera, because they could look all that up. Um, and they confirmed that the type of film used to make this photograph was not made until May 1989. <gasps> so that was a few months after the point that she was went missing. Um, so that means she was kept alive for a few right. months after taking the photo. Right. Um, so her daughter, her mom was like, okay, well then, no, now I'm back to 100% thinking that that's my daughter. I thought ears were like a big like a significant sign mm-hmm. to like identify someone in the... eyes. Okay. I thought it was something about it's like hard how because you're... the duct tape on her mouth is so thick. Uh-huh. It covered a lot of her mouth, almost like the mask that we wear for COVID like that yeah. thick. Um, and it's like blurry. So, you know, yeah. Polaroids come out not very clear. Yeah. So, um, so nothing else is happening. Um, they don't know who's in the photo. They don't know who took it. They don't know where it's taken. Nothing. So this family's coming suit, becoming very defeated. Um, now this is really awesome. So in 1991, Patty and John actually became deputized to become Valencia County Sheriff's deputies. And they did that so they can be more involved in the case. Um, becoming deputized, deputized mean that they would have more access to materials, resources, reports to help the case move further along. They were so worried that the case was just going to die out and people would give up. So they were doing anything that they could to keep this alive and going so john said we were both deputized after tara's tara's disappearance and we were able to investigate the case it allows us to do two main things we can carry weapons and it allows us to contact any law enforcement agency on behalf of the sheriff's department regarding the case we were both commissioned as auxiliary deputies so they're both deputies now working on this case on the front end so but nothing came from this either So there were little breadcrumbs like here and there, but nothing like significant. 
Tara's mother, Patty, was also convinced that she was still alive and that they were going to find her. Um, John said that she would wake up every morning and she'd be like, today's the day. We're going to find her. I know we are. She was hopeful each and every single day. Um, she did tell um, press, even if she's not alive, I just want to bring her home. Yeah. She wanted to give her the proper funeral. She wanted to give her a service. And she just wanted to have peace of mind that she's not suffering in pain. That was the main thing for her. Yeah. Um, so since Patty and John are now able to work so closely with the police, this is the bad part. They were being sent photos of unidentified dead bodies Fuck. every single day for Patty to have to go through and to see if they were Tara or not. So Patty would look at every single photo. And these were like gnarly, gnarly crime scene photos for Patty to look at. But she looked at every single one of them. Um, yeah. No one's and, and no one's prepared to do that. Um, especially, like, even if you know the person or not, I don't want to see any crime scene, but she flipped over every single photo expecting to see her daughter. Oh, my God. Um, you know, and just, like, imagine how she felt doing that every single day. Um, Patty said, if the photo is my daughter, then I will accept she's gone. But until then, I believe Tara is still alive and I'm going to find my baby. Oh, that makes my heart hurt. I know. So Tara's brother, Chris, said to People's Magazine... Police would send photos of every possibility, including dead bodies, dismembered bodies, and every time mom got an envelope with the newest pictures, she had to look at them. She couldn't not look at them, but it tore her up every single time. She cried a lot. Ugh. Oh, Imagine God. him watching his mom have to go through that. Ugh, horrible. So to highlight John and Patty's badass effort to solve this <laughs> case even more... They moved to Florida because this is where the last Polaroid was found. They figured if they were there, they could get ahead, like a, you know, more information. They could be, you know, front and center of everything. So they moved to Florida. This is really sad. This got me. So when they moved into their brand new home, they had a bedroom for Tara in hopes that she would return home soon with fresh sheets, her favorite colors. Um, inside her bedroom included all of her birthday gifts over the years. Christmas gifts over the years, cards from her friend and family. Um, and it was clear, like, her parents were determined and holding on to, like, every last bit of hope. And her mom said that she just wanted her to have her gifts when she got home, which is so sad. Oh, um, a family friend told People Magazine regarding Patty, she would see a young girl on a bicycle and just point and write down on a piece of paper, Tara, question mark. And John would look at her and say, no, babe, that's not Tara. So the reason why she would point and write down Tara is because sadly from like all the trauma that she's going through, um, she experienced a lot of strokes over the years, <sighs> which affected her in very many ways. She had to live in an assisted living home for some time after having the strokes. And the caregiver said that they would go into her room every single morning and she would be staring out the window waiting for Tara to come up in her bike. <sighs> So John told the Al Albuquerque Journal in 2006, I would have to explain to her that it was not Tara, that this person was either too young or too old because she didn't want to hear, no, that's not, she wanted to hear why. Why okay. is it not Tara? Okay. Um, so he had explained to her every single day. But the caregiver said, yep, she would just look out that window every single day with a smile on her face, just waiting like patiently for Tara to come home. So sad. So do you think she didn't have like as much pain anymore because her mind was... Kind going of, so she just was like oh she's on her way home yeah which i hope that's the case because like i get what you're saying yeah it's yeah. kind of like when people have alzheimer's and like 
I've heard of people like having Alzheimer's and they experience like their daughter's murder or something. And they're like, oh, you know, where's my daughter? And you just yeah. say, oh, she just went to the grocery store little. Yeah. And they don't know that their daughter's murdered. So why tell them that over and over again? It could have been kind of something like that. Like the stroke. took. It, yeah. It makes me wonder of, like your mind. Brain. Yeah. yeah. It, almost as if she resorted back to being yeah. like a child almost. Yeah. You know? Or just like that one she couldn't get all the way past it so she just is focusing on that last moment where she was saying right. like right so unfortunately though patty passed away in 2006 um, when another series of strokes just did her in so john said patty was looking for tara until the very last day patty passed away never knowing what happened to her daughter um and john said tara and her mother were so close I'm just sorry something wasn't resolved one way or another before she passed. It took a quite a bit out of her. Wow. So Tara's sister Michelle took the lead after Patty passed away. And she was like, I'm going to take charge of this. And I'm going to solve this not only for Tara, but for our family. Because my mom deserves, you know, my mom died doing this. And I'm going to take up for her. And I'm not going to stop till I get answers. Yeah. So the Valencia County Sheriff at the time was Renee Rivera. And this is where things start to get really fucking interesting. So hold on to your fucking nipples. Holding. Ladies and gentlemen. So Sheriff Rene Rivera had been working on the case since he had been in the department in 1989. Okay. He does not, for one, he does not believe the photo is Tara. He said, I don't think it's her. It does resemble her quite a bit, but I don't think it's her. If the picture is of her, it could have just been taken here and then transported somewhere else. So he started by following up with every single lead again that they had um, had in the past. He was digging up multiple locations where they thought her body could be. Um, He was sending out teams to like search the forest. Uh, But then in 2008, he comes on record and says he knows exactly what happened to Tara that day. And he knows exactly who did it and what happened. Okay. But then he goes, but there's not enough solid evidence to put anyone away so i don't want to speak on it Uh, so her family is livid they're like wait a uh, minute you uh. went on record to say all of this and then you just kind of leave us blank he goes okay well i'll say this there were two teenage boys at the time who he has names for but he didn't give um witnesses saw them driving that older model truck and that they were following her on her route and grabbing at her through the windows uh This is what he said. The information that I have is the truck accidentally ended up hitting her. I believe the truck bumped her bike at which she fell on the side of the road. From there, the individuals took her. They panicked at one point because she was severely hurt and just killed her. He also said Tara knew them. And then he went on to say, we do have a case put together, but we want to make sure the case is a concrete case so that we are able to effectively do our jobs. We are just waiting to get a little more evidence. Her bicycle, her clothing, Tara herself, anything. And he also said that the two other there's said two other people besides the two teenagers that were in the car involved know what happened to her as well. He said <laughs> if Tara was killed, I would say her body is still within the county. I think that she is in the same general area that she was taken. So John, Tara's father, was livid. He was like, how in the hell do you like come forward and say all this? And then you say, oh, there's not enough evidence, though. So there's really nothing I can do at this point. Like, he was like, how fucking dare you? Don't say anything at all. Okay, this is my thing. Yeah? That whole thing sounds like something 
someone would say when they're sitting in an interrogation room and they know they did something wrong, but they're just like making it up or as they go. Or trying to hide something. Well, or like yeah. cover for somebody. Or that. I yeah. mean, grabbing at her, like she's basically a professional biker, right? Like she's an athlete. Right. So I feel like she could get away from them right. on the road. Right. Okay. Like I know you can't probably out cycle a car but like they're in a beat up truck to be with, so it probably can't go that fast it definitely can't off-road and she probably could in her bike right for sure no totally so john said i thought it was silly when i first heard it there is such a thing as circumstantial evidence and i know in other places they've gotten a conviction on strong circumstantial evidence it should have never been said unless they are willing to make an arrest and go forward with it so in 2009, some more photos appeared, some more Polaroids. Okay. One was found on a construction site in Montecito, California, uh-huh, and Montecito. it's of a woman that has her mouth duct tape, and the fabric that she's laying on looked like the blue striped fabric from the original photo. The next one is of a woman and a man on a train, and he's holding her, and she's tied up by, like, gauze. Um, there was another, another photo where... Um, Oh, there was another photo that was sent in the mail, um, and it caused quite a bit of commotion. So David Barnes, uh, chief of police, received the photo. The photo was of a boy, and this boy had a black marker scribbled over his mouth, and it almost looked like it was like his school photo. So they were like, okay, this is a school photo. The mouth is marked out. But a lot of people were like, I think this is someone saying, like, look familiar, like insinuating, like, this is the boy in the Polaroid, like, I have him. Because the eyes and the hair of the boy look the same. And I'm going to post all of these photos. Um, but it's not Michael. It's not Michael because at this point... Well, they thought it could be Michael, but... But, but not with the school photo. They would know. But was it was like... covered up. Like, you couldn't okay. see much. The mouth was covered up. So, um, and like, to this day, I just want to mention, to this day in 2022, they still have no idea who the boy in the photo is. Which is so No deep. idea. Um, so the same photo was received by a local newspaper, the star. So they turned it into police. This letter was postmarked in Albuquerque on August 10th, but the letter did not contain a return address or a note indicating the child's identity, making the officials believe it may have been something to do with the disappearance of Tara Calico because it was coming in at the same time that those Polaroids of her quote, quote, came in as well. Yeah. So to add to this, Shortly after, the same day, a psychic called in, claiming that she met oh. a run she met a runaway in a California who she worked with at the strip club, and the girl was eventually murdered. She then had a psychic dream suggesting that the runaway was Tara Calico and that she was buried in California. So the searches were made there, but they had no discoveries. Okay. And like a lot of people that heard these stories were like, Tara was not a damn stripper or a runaway because she was so happy with her life, you know, like Tara would, yeah. ne- her mom was like, or her dad was like, uh, no, that's not any evidence. Tara would never run away. She was close to her family. She damn sure ain't working at no like strip club. Okay. Not to hate on people, but like, it just did not fit her. I mean. Demographic. I mean, her, what a. Personality. There you go. So. Um, so the letters and the photos were handed over to the FBI in hopes to find like fingerprints or possible DNA evidence and nothing, nothing at all. Of course. So October, 2013, 
the tar case was officially reopened again because it had died out sometime. It wasn't uh-huh. ever like closed, closed, but no one was actively working on it. But this time they had um, a full task force that was starting to dive into it to get the shit to an arrest. That was their goal. Uh-huh. So it consisted of six people, um, some from Homeland Security, local and state police, and two sheriff's departments. Damn. The task force spoke to former deputy Frank Mathola, and he came forward and said he took a statement from a teacher named Henry Brown. He took the <laughs> statement while Henry was on his deathbed. Oh! Um, so this is where it gets fucking weird. So Henry said that back when Tara was missing, he hung out with some very bad kids. He said one of the kids was Lawrence Romero Jr., who happened to be the son of the sheriff at the time. <gasps> the sheriff was Lawrence Romero Sr., Lawrence Jr. was a bad, bad kid and got into a lot of trouble, but he used his daddy's connections to get out of everything that he was caused. He was causing crime, staying out late, he was dealing drugs, he was with girls, he was hanging out with gangs, you name it, he was just involved in a horrible, horrible crowd. And he knew Tara, and a lot of people that went to school with him said that he had the biggest crush on her. Henry said once he and Lawrence were at a party together, and the party was on Lawrence's property in a basement. They went down to the basement, and he said there were a few other guys already down there hanging out. He said he noticed something in the corner of the room under a tarp, and he said at one point the guys started, like, and they were all drinking, started talking about how they had accidentally hit Tara on her bike, and that they abducted her, raped her, and then murdered her. They said that they originally hid her body in some bushes, but when everybody went crazy looking for her, they got scared that someone would find her, so they grabbed her body and hid it in Lawrence Jr.'s basement. Then they moved her from there and dumped her off in a pond. Okay. So this is him saying this on his deathbed, okay? Um, So Henry said the reason why it took him so long to come forward and say this was because they threatened to kill him if he ever spoke on it or went to police, and he was scared. He was terrified. Um, He said that he was coming forth now because he knew he was dying any day from now and they would never be able to hurt him. Um, So here's a quote from the police report. Mr. Brown said they were all there on one occasion drinking margaritas and making fajitas. He was in the basement with them and had a weird feeling. So he looked down and noticed a grave wrapped up in a small tarp is what he called it, of which he believed was a small body. They started talking about Tara Calico and began talking about how they raped and killed her. Mr. Brown said that he knew the kids because he had actually worked at the school that the kids worked at. Uh um, And the kids, like, smoked weed that day and skipped school. Mr. Brown said one of them used to be her boyfriend, um, and one of them was jealous. They started talking about another friend who had been with them named Leroy, and they started talking to Henry about what they had done and warned him not to talk about it or they would come and get him. They then said they were driving one of the guy's older truck that day, and um, they knew that Jeff, her boyfriend at the time, and Tara had recently broken up, which I, is not true, and they all knew that she rode her bike down that highway every single day. They explained that they hit her with the truck after trying to grab her. They put her in the back of the truck with Leroy, took her out, of the gra- took her out to some gravel pits where they sodomized <gasps> and raped her for hours. Lawrence Jr. said she got ballsy. She stood up after we raped her and she said, I'm going to make sure all of y'all go to jail. So Lawrence Jr. went into the car, got a knife from the truck, and Leroy and one of the tall guys with them held her down while Lawrence Jr. stabbed and killed her. 
They drug her body and put her in some bushes nearby until they got really nervous and moved the body days later. So that was the police report. So another acquaintance of the guys came forward named Donald Dutcher, and he said they confessed this exact same story to him as well. So unfortunately, at this point, when Henry Bowne is telling investigators this, Lawrence has been dead for 20 plus years. (gasps) So they can't interview him or arrest him. He died by suicide, self-inflicting gunshot wounds. There was also rumors that there was a suicide note left behind and he put that he killed Tara, um, it, but that it was covered up by his father, who's the sheriff. Oh, my God. His father went into great measures to try to get his death changed from a suicide, and he did not want that going down on paper. So he basically just told people, oh, no, he died playing Russian roulette with his friends, which, okay, still. Okay, so then he's just a dumb fuck? So he's a like... dumbass, okay. Um, yeah, so there was a lot of talk in the town that he had left a... Um, <sighs> Note saying, I killed Tara Calico. And a lot of people said that the reason why he committed suicide was because, like, it was haunting him each and every day that he killed that, killed that girl, and that that's why he shot himself. Okay. Makes sense. So, yes. So, Sheriff Rene Rivera was likely keeping these details a secret because they were connected to the former sheriff, and so was he. Um, the thought by everyone involved in this was that there was definitely an abduction and definitely a murder, but it was covered up by Lawrence Romero Sr. and Jr., but it was also likely that Rene Rivera was covering up the evidence as well, and so that he was coming out saying this so he could be a hero, but then be like, oh, but we don't have enough evidence just to show, hey, I'm doing my job, but I don't really have anything to, like, totally convict somebody. Okay. So then some more strange events popped up. During the time that the photo was found in Port St. Joe, Florida, on June 15, 1989, witnesses saw an unidentified teenage girl on the beach there, and she was with several Caucasian males that appeared to be ordering the girl verbally on the beach, making a huge scene. People on the beach were like, okay, this is really strange. And the girl, and at this point, the photo was circulating, and everyone's like, oh my God, that girl looks <gasps> like the girl in the photo. So people were calling it in. The girl and the guys left, and they have not seen her since. So, in 2019, the FBI put up a $20,000 reward for any information in the Tara Calico disappearance. Um, And they also released an age-progressed photo of Tara. Calico's case has received extensive coverage on TV programs such as The Current Affair, Unsolved Mysteries, America's Most Wanted, and it was also profiled on The Oprah Winfrey Show in 48 Hours. John said in quotes, I miss her. One of these days, hopefully, we will find out what happened. Whether or not someone is held accountable for it, I just want to know what happened. We have been looking for her for some kind of closure for a very long time. We all need it. <sighs> so as of today, in 2022, the case is still unsolved. And Tara has been missing for 33 years, God. five months, and four days. But the case is still actively open. But a lot of people are so hopeless because a lot of people believe that Lawrence Romero Jr. did it, but he's dead, you know? Yeah, so it's not as satisfying. No, it's not as satisfying. He's dead, yes, but they just want to just have an answer, whether it's him or not. Yeah. And, like, imagine, like, what if she is still alive? What if she's in another country being held captive? Because, you know, like, I mean, 33 years is a long time, but, like, Amanda Berry and those girls, they were held captive for 12 oh, years. God, so it's not yeah. impossible, but... And right around the corner from where they lived. Exactly. So, 
Yep, that's the case of Tara Calico. I'm going to post all the Polaroid photos. Okay. All the age progressive. I can even post the link if anybody listening to this happens to know anything. Um, this case made national news, though, so I feel like a lot of people have heard this case before. Maybe not in details of this. Um, but, yeah, this is just a really intense case. What do you think before we sign off? No, I... I It's hard, though, because the Polaroid looks so much like her... So I wanted to believe that, but then that story is so compelling with um, the guy on the deathbed said that I believe that. I think that's what happened, but it's just like, okay, so if that's what I think happened, who is the girl in the Polaroid? So a lot of people also thought that the Polaroid photo could have been fake, that people were just like taking a photo like that because of the fact that there's a book sitting next to the girl that her arms don't feel tightly bound that some teens were just like you know okay. making a sick joke and you know posting a photo like that you know okay but if i had to put money on what happened i would say that the um testimony from john what's his name john henry uh, brown some the guy on the death yeah bed, yeah yeah his brown. story I I believe his story. I think that's what happened. But unfortunately, the guys are dead. So okay. Oh, unsolved, honey. I I love doing them because a lot of people like them. But it just leaves you just thinking, like, God, I want to go out there and do something, you know? Yeah. So that's the case for Tara Calico. Wow, that was great. Thanks. Storytelling. I'm gonna yeah. um post again all the photos, um the age progressed photo. Okay. The Polaroids, all that good stuff. So that will be on our Instagram at Misery Manor Podcast. Um, please feel free to share our shit, DM us, um, leave us a review. Rate, review, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We really appreciate this and we really love doing this for you all. So um, if you have any suggestions on cases that you want us to cover, um, I get them all the time. Like, oh, check this out. Check this out. And it's awesome because it's a lot of shit that I haven't heard before. So keep them coming, baby. And Emily's... Are you going to tell them the email? Oh, yes. The email is <laughs> miserymannerpodcast at gmail.com. Um, or you can just DM us. Okay. Whatever's um, easier. Yeah. And you were going to, you said my name. Oh, and Emily's nipples are healing perfectly. Oh, shut she up. She got them pierced last Tuesday. So they're a week <laughs> and they are crusty, musty, and dusty. Are they? No. <laughs> I can't say shit. I have mine too. Well, yours right. are probably dusty. Okay, bye. Bye, bye guys. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>